Welcome to episode 49 of Justice with John Carpe, the podcast from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. I'm the show's producer, Kevin Steele, and with me is our host, John Carpe, who is the president and founder of the Center. At the end of last week's show, Mr. Carpe promised he'd be here this week to talk about court actions by the Justice Center seeking to lift lockdown measures. Well, he's here, so let's hold him to that. But just by way of introduction, we're going to begin by playing a couple of minutes from a speech John gave this past Saturday at an outdoor rally in Calgary protesting those government lockdown measures. What a handsome guy. John Carpe, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you, Brad. Most of all, my thanks to each and every one of you for exercising your courage by being here today and exercising your charter freedom of expression. Your charter freedom of association. Your charter freedom of peaceful assembly. These are our God-given freedoms. They do not come from Jason Kenney. They do not come from Dina Hinshaw. They do not come from the Calgary Police. These are God-given freedoms, and we are proudly exercising them today as Canadians. I applaud your courage because, you know, there's been statements issued by the police that they're going to issue tickets. And I listened... I listened carefully, and we, we want to be friends with the police. I agree with what Brad said. The police should be protecting our rights and freedoms. And the chief of police, uh, he said a few things. Uh, two of them I found interesting. One, he said that this was just uh, temporary limits on our constitutional freedoms. Temporary. We're into our ninth month. Our ninth month of fear-mongering our ninth month of people dying because they didn't get their cancer diagnosis on time. We're into our ninth month of elevated rates of suicide and alcoholism and drug overdoses. Millions of people thrown into unemployment. These are not temporary. If these, if these were temporary restrictions, I wouldn't be here today and I don't think you would be either. If it was just two weeks to flatten the curve, you know, we, we weren't holding the rallies back in March and April. That would have been okay. I'd supported two weeks to flatten the curve. But we're into our ninth month. So I'm sorry to, to disagree with the chief of police, but these are not temporary restrictions. So there it is, John. You sound like you're popular there. What else did you have to say to this crowd? Well, nothing that the media reported on, Kevin. <laughs> oh, really? I talked yeah. about, uh, they characterized it as an anti-mask rally, which um, it's not, it's a typical, you know, misleading media stuff. I mean, it was all about the lockdowns. It was an anti-lockdown rally. And mm -hmm. most of the people in the audience, I think, were uh, against mandatory mask wearing. Although I think that, that those people are also respectful of somebody else's choice to wear a mask if they believe that it's helpful. So, but the media doesn't call it an anti-lockdown rally. They mention nothing about uh, the contents of my speech, which were about the lockdown harms and about the legal basis of the court actions and a public announcement uh, that I made on, on uh, Saturday at the rally in Calgary uh, in conjunction with the news release that the Justice Center sent out, which is that we have sued the province of Alberta. Mm -hmm. And there is now a filed statement of claim in the Alberta Court of Queen's Bench um, asking the court to strike down the lockdown measures as unjustifiable violations of our charter freedoms. And then an argument that will be particular to Alberta and not the other provinces is um, that it's also contrary to the Alberta Bill of Rights, which is provincial legislation that guarantees all kinds of rights. It's similar to the charter. And it says that any law or order that is uh, contrary to the Alberta Bill of Rights is of no force in effect. So we have that argument. And then we also have an argument that the... Um, uh, chief medical officers' various orders are illegal because our constitution requires that laws of general application uh, be made by the elected legislative 
assembly. And so it's a violation of our constitution to have an unelected, unaccountable doctor uh, writing the laws of a province that that is in and of itself is in, is, uh, is not constitutional. Okay. Uh, one of the things you did say in that uh, speech that caught my ear was that, uh, you know, you were talking about court cases, how long they can take to wind through the courts. And some people had told you, well, this is not the venue for that. You should be doing it in court. <laughs> and you had a pretty good answer to that. And maybe you could just throw it back at me now. Well, the chief of police uh, issued a threatening statement, uh, you know, by way of a four-minute uh, YouTube video or whatever kind of video, and said that the the, the place to decide on the validity of these uh, orders is is before the courts. It's not at City Hall, and it's not on Stephen Avenue, which is a well-known street in Calgary that um, uh, is is well liked. It, it's a pedestrian-only street, and it's got a lot of historic buildings and, and, and such anyway. But um, some years ago, I had the honor of representing the free expression rights of students at the University of Calgary who were threatened by the university, threatened with expulsion if they continued to advocate for their pro-life views on campus. And uh, while the university was threatening, the students kept on peacefully expressing their opinions. And then ultimately, the university found them guilty of non-academic misconduct simply for having peacefully expressed their uh, opinions on campus and nothing else. They were found guilty of non-academic misconduct. Now, from the time we sued the university, uh, from the time that we filed the statement of claim in uh, 2011 to the time that we got a favorable court ruling... Uh, and the university lost and the students won. That was in 2014. So it took three years. And guess what the students did during those three years? Uh, <laughs> they kept on with their protest. advocacy. Okay. They kept on because you can't you can't just give up your fundamental rights and freedoms and, and uh, give up your human dignity and, and your, your fundamental uh, human right to protest peacefully and to gather with other people. You can't give up those rights and freedoms for uh, for three years or two years or four or five years. And these court actions, uh, you're lucky if you, from the time of filing a statement of claim until getting a court ruling, you're lucky if it's two years. Uh, mm. Three, four, five is more realistic. So my message to the chief of police was, no, like we're not, uh, th these aren't temporary in the first place. Uh, these are permanent restrictions on our charter freedoms. And I'll stop using the word permanent when they get lifted in their entirety. And until such time, I will be referring to them as uh, the permanent restrictions on our charter freedoms because we're nine months into it. And yeah, they, the, the, some of these rules got relaxed a little bit here and there. Uh, some provinces, they hardly got relaxed at all. Uh, mm -hmm. And now we're being told that uh, you can get a, a $1,200 fine uh, for having your mother over on Christmas dinner. So let, let's let, let's be honest and let's let's not say that these are uh, temporary when they've been around for nine months. And, and there's no uh, goal whatsoever that any politician or chief medical officer is coming out with to say, you know what, you know, this is our effort for 2020 and, you know, 2021, we're done uh, we're not going to pursue this anymore because the lockdowns are killing far more people than any number of lives that, that might be saved. Even that, there's no definite commitment as to when they will end. Uh, so, uh, so that was my message to the to the chief of police that uh, these restrictions are not temporary, and furthermore, we're not going to wait uh, and refuse to exercise our charter rights and freedoms for uh, three, four, five years while the court action's in progress. And I would not be surprised if I get a knock on my door uh, in the coming days and there's a policeman there with a $1,200 ticket for me. And I would not want that to happen. If it does happen, I'm going to plead not guilty and take it to court. And, um, you know, we're, uh, we're going to try to use the, uh, uh, the court action to see what we can do uh, with potential positive impact on all these ticket cases that we're taking on now all over Canada in, in every province, we are taking on new clients every day from people that got, uh, you know, depending on the province, $2,800 tickets, $1,000 tickets, $1,200 tickets, uh, simply for simply for practicing their human dignity and, and exercising their charter freedoms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's getting worse. I know that uh, we've got more impositions on us here in Alberta. I just want to go back to your uh, 
your rally there. So you're saying it came out of the corporate media sausage machine as anti-maskers. Eh? Anti-maskers. Yeah, and then okay. they fixate on, you know, there's like, there's one person there with a Trump t-shirt and there's, uh, you know, some people are, uh, there are some anti-vaxxers there. I'm, I myself, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but I'm completely opposed to mandatory vaccines for COVID, which while we're on that topic, the chief medical officer in Ontario stated publicly at a news conference in the past week that he's against forced vaccines, which would mean that the state forcibly injects you. And so they get people to hold you down and they inject it into you. Uh, He very magnanimously, generously said that he's against forced vaccines. However, he's in favor of mandatory vaccines, which means if you don't get the vaccines, then you cannot get into um, you can't get into a shopping mall. You can't fly on an airplane. You can't send your kids to public school, et cetera, et cetera. So you know, hey, we're being really nice. We're not going to forcibly inject you with it. However, if you choose not to get the vaccine, you're going to become a second class citizen that's not allowed to go shopping, uh, not allowed to go to a movie theater, not allowed to go to the gym or the swimming pool. Uh, you know, maybe not allowed to go to church or mosque or synagogue, uh, not allowed to send your kids to school, not allowed to fly on an airplane, not allowed on public transit, et cetera, et cetera. That's what mandatory vaccines means. It means that you become a second class citizen if you don't want the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That's going to be a. No, that's, and that's distinct yeah. from, you know, like I said, I, I don't, I don't regret the uh, polio vaccine that my mother tells me that I got as a baby. So, you know, protect me from that crippling uh, disease. And uh, my wife and I have consented to vaccinations for, for all of our kids. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, that, that's all well and good. I'm not an anti vaxxer. Uh, but I support the free speech rights of anti-vaxxers. And there are some anti-vaxxers in the crowd, you know, one person wearing a Trump t-shirt, whatever, this kind of stuff. The media fixates on that. Mm-hmm. Now, they have every right to include that as part of their coverage. But I think it's it's biased and misleading coverage when you've got a lawyer whose law firm has just filed a court action against the Alberta government making a speech. And some of the news stories said nothing about the court action. Oh, yeah. um, and they don't post a link to the court action, even though they, you know, media are they supposed to They don't want to touch it. They don't want to talk about the report either. You notice that? They don't want the, to talk about those stats, the death stats that I was so shocked at last week when we I talked am, about I them. am disappointed, yeah. but not surprised uh, that that our report called Flying Blind posted at www.jccf.ca. And I'll do a super quick recap. But that, that report got zero coverage. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I know. Because it has the government data there, and the government data tells us that since COVID-19 arrived in Canada, fewer Canadians are dying. I mean, that's kind of a shocker. Oh, yeah. uh, but, oh, no, no, the media are not going to report on that. And then, very interesting, the uh, number of deaths that the government attributed to cancer, heart diseases, lung diseases, stroke, pneumonia, and influenza went down by uh, about 10,000. And at the same time that there's 10,000 fewer deaths from these illnesses, there's 9,000 deaths attributed to COVID. Now, I'm not saying that COVID is uh, is a hoax or is false. No, COVID is real. And uh, I'm sure that COVID played some kind of a role in the 9,000 deaths attributed to COVID. But how can you ignore government statistics, which say that the government is attributing 10,000 fewer deaths to cancer, lung diseases, heart diseases, stroke, pneumonia, and influenza, and 9,000 deaths are attributed to, to COVID. Uh, why is there that decline by 10,000? And why are fewer Canadians dying? You know, if, if, the, if the media had any integrity at all, um, there'd be at least one story that, you know, delves into that. Uh, and they might even have a, a good answer for it, a good explanation. I don't know. I'd be interested, right? But what, what do they do? They kill the story entirely. So here uh, you have a lawyer talking about a court action in regards to charter violations. And this gets, uh, in some stories, gets a a one-line mention. It's like, well, you know, uh, yeah, John Carpe from the Justice Center was uh, was also speaking like as if I'm kind of one of a thousand, which I was one of a thousand, but uh, very blatant, blatantly biased and misleading uh, coverage that we got from, uh, from CBC, from Global. And then the other uh, non-attenders. So that's flying blind. Uh, mm-hmm. That's that's those are the some of the key findings from that report. Eighteen thousand, think- and and as many as eighteen thousand Canadians 
uh, are going to die unnecessarily of cancer because of uh, delayed diagnostics and delayed treatments. I mean, that's another shocker that the media should be uh, interested in, that as many as 18,000 Canadians dying prematurely and unnecessarily of cancer. Wow. Is that, that's a, that's not of interest. That's not in the public interest. That's not for the public to know about. Uh, and then well, the other, I, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, they'll ignore it until somebody goes back and changes those stats and then they'll talk about it. <laughs> well, we've got, we've got screenshots. <laughs> yeah, I know. It doesn't make any difference. The, uh, the problem is people will believe what they want to believe. Anyways. Uh, yeah. That was, I'm, I'm being a little facetious there, but. No, there's a grain of truth in that, though. Yeah. People, uh, what we want to believe does influence us, and it's hard to rise above that. I mean, it's a struggle. Nobody's got the art of truth-seeking, you know, down packed, right? It's uh, mm. it's, it's always hard to rise above your, your own um, preconceived notions and your own biases and prejudices and assumptions and so on and so forth. But, I mean, traditionally... The media was called, I think, the fifth estate, or was it the fourth estate? I think it yeah. was the fifth. I think it was the fourth. But the fourth estate. So, yeah. but suggesting that the media is a pillar of society, can be, should be, ought to be a pillar of society as the independent, truth loving, truth seeking, truth reporting, objective, non biased source of information for the public. That's what the media is supposed to be. And they've they've turned into a, a herd of bleeding sheep that are uh, actively promoting the narrative that COVID nineteen is an unusually deadly killer, when in fact the government data, government statistics tell us that it is not. But they keep on promoting that narrative, and they continue to promote falsehoods. Uh, they continue to um, well, yeah, they promote falsehoods by suggesting that our healthcare system is in danger of being overrun by COVID patients. When the government's own data tells us that, you know, COVID patients are using, you know, three or 4%, you know, some places 10% of of the hospital beds in the ICU spaces, they don't say that. They just say, oh, uh, hospitals are in danger of being overrun, you know, conveniently omitting the total number of beds and the total number of ICU spaces that are available and conveniently not reporting on the fact that our hospitals have been overrun for decades, and this is normal. Now, it might be undesirable. Uh, you know, it, if <laughs> if one good thing comes out of COVID is that we reform our health system and um, catch up to, you know, countries like uh, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, Britain, France, Germany, uh, so on and so forth, uh, if we can actually use this as an opportunity to reform our healthcare system so that we get far more value for the, the big bucks that we're paying, that would be nice. But the media mm. report on this as if as if Canadian hospitals have never been overrun. <laughs> yeah. and it's like, it, oh, hallway no, medicine. No. I think you use that hallway medicine, you know. Yeah. But now, now all of a sudden, it's like, oh no, uh, we've got COVID. Now our hospitals are in danger of being overrun. Yeah. Uh, it's it's it, it, it is so misleading and and biased. And I think uh, I think they should be ashamed of themselves. And the only silver lining on the cloud is that the uh, mainstream media are slowly, quietly, but very surely dying uh, a slow death every day. They have less credibility, less viewers, uh, less readers, and less people paying attention to what they have to say because they're not journalists or reporters. They are advocates for a narrative. And Yeah, you in- forgot the other silver lining here, which is that Albert is going to get some field hospitals. <laughs> that one? Well, Just like New York had, you know. <clears throat> I don't know. I don't know why we can't use school gyms, um, which are large spaces with very tall ceilings, and they are not in use because mm-hmm. uh, the uh, the the fear mongering uh, politicians and the fear mongering uh, chief medical officers are, you know, shutting down schools left, right, and center. I think some elementary schools are still open, but there's no reason why uh, a gym, which is typically uh, waterproof and heated and can be sterilized to a uh, you know, sufficient level. So it becomes like a miniature temporary hospital. Um, <laughs> We're not even anywhere near that. I was kind of, you know, I, that story broke, uh, you know, I think just after we did our last episode where that Albert is getting a couple of field hospitals or we've made inquiries about it. And it's because everything is going to hell out here when it really wasn't. So, 
I found it a little strange that they would be cranking it up. But, you know, the fact that they gave absolutely no coverage to the report and those blockbuster statistics tells me that, you know, they're in on the scam. I mean, this is just, it's, I don't know. I mean, I can't give the benefit of the doubt to anybody anymore. You know, they totally ignored this. And, and there are thing there are things that a few months ago I would have dismissed as paranoia that I can no longer dismiss as paranoia. This whole mandatory vaccinations thing. Uh, the Alberta Premier uh, Jason Kenney said at one point, "Oh, you know, there's there's no relationship whatsoever between mask wearing and vaccinations." Well, that's a stupid thing to say and completely wrong because the logic is entirely the same. The logic is that first of all, COVID nineteen is an unusually deadly killer. Uh, which is false. Uh, secondly, we should all be very afraid of it. Uh, that's false. Uh, thirdly, that uh, lockdowns are a good way to deal with this, which is false because they uh, inflict more harm than any good that they might do. There's no evidence that lockdowns have saved any lives. The World Health Organization has reversed its position and said we should not use lockdowns. And we've got just shy of 50,000 medical doctors and infectious disease experts who've signed the Great Barrington Declaration, uh, which is uh, medical doctors and uh, public health experts saying that we should be doing focused protection of the people who are vulnerable to COVID-19, which is, uh, with few exceptions, it's the seniors in nursing homes, uh, possibly some other seniors that have uh, one or two or three serious pre-existing conditions. So we have focused protection as a much more sensible, much more intelligent, and much more compassionate alternative to lockdowns. So, um, you know, so you've, you've, you've still got that fear-mongering narrative. So, so back to Jason Kenney on the vaccines. The logic is exactly the same. The logic is COVID is an unusually deadly killer. All of us should be very afraid. All of us are at risk of catching it. Lockdowns are the best way to deal with it. Uh, everybody needs to wear a mask in order to protect grandma. Now, with the push for mandatory vaccines is going to use exactly the same arguments that COVID-19 is an unusually deadly killer. Everybody should be very afraid. Uh, we all need to get on board to protect grandma. Lockdowns are a great way to do it. And shame on you if you don't get a vaccination. It'll be the same as what, what I, I heard on the radio this morning Um some uh, somebody called in and said uh, the anti-maskers should be ashamed of themselves. It's their fault that the case numbers are up. You know, never mind the fact that these all these high case numbers. We've got you know false positives, fifty percent to ninety percent, and you know ninety ninety seven percent, ninety five percent of all these so called cases are are perfectly healthy people, and the health authorities don't even know if they're contagious or not. But putting all that aside. Uh, somebody called into a radio show, and I, I just hope it's not representative of public opinion. Hopefully it's not. But he said, uh, the reason why uh, these case numbers are up is because of the anti-maskers, and they should all be locked in jail and just be be left there to rot and infect each other, and uh, they, they should all get COVID and not get the medical attention. I mean, just vitriolic. You know, and it, it, it's interesting because the the deaths are still, uh, you look at any death stats in any jurisdiction that will publish them, most provinces do mention the age of the deceased. Uh, Saskatchewan, last time we looked, did not mention that, which is uh, bad. I thought only uh, Alberta was doing that. I think uh, I'd have to get back to you on that. Okay, sure. Um, uh, sorry, but definitely in, in Alberta, for sure, um, mm-hmm. we have statistics on age of death and, um, the government data and statistics tells us that this is a, a COVID-19 is, uh, is a threat almost exclusively to people in their nineties and eighties and seventies, uh, who are already in poor health and 80% of the deaths are in nursing homes or long, long-term care facilities and we've got mask wearing that the it's it's already at you know it was at 95% or 90% or something i guess now it'll be closer to 100% with a, with a province wide mandate on on mask wearing so if if the anti maskers uh i don't know how they could be responsible un, unless they're visiting nursing homes every day we've got you know 
90-something percent compliance. We've got 90% of the people or more that are wearing masks everywhere all the time in all indoor places. That's already a reality. So how could you know a handful uh, of, 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 of people not wearing masks be responsible for these case numbers. I mean, it's and, and we've had medical doctors say that that mask wearing is just uh, virtue signaling. It it does absolutely nothing to uh, reduce the spread of the virus. Oh yeah, definitely. I also hear no talk about the tests, even though this has become a big issue internationally now. And in fact, I think uh, on the uh, Justice Center Twitter feed. You had uh, a link to the Florida, the story out of Florida now, where Florida is requiring the laboratories to publish the magnification level of their PCR tests. And I just have a little anecdote I want to shove in here. Uh, I think some of the readers are, are, sorry, some of our longtime listeners will know that I am actually working at home and uh, I'm looking after my elderly mother who's 87 and she has Alzheimer's and cancer. And uh, yesterday she got a PCR test that came and did that. In my discussions leading up to it, I discovered that none of the healthcare professionals know anything about this test. They don't even know what it's called. They didn't even know it was a PCR test. And they didn't know anything about the cycle level. And uh, what I was going to ask you today when I was when we got to the you know your court actions, I want to know if you're going to be able to find that in discovery. Now, what I've discovered myself in the last two days is I'm going to have to maybe push the doctor uh, to find out if they can push the lab. I now know the name of the lab that does that the tests if they can push them to get the cycle level here. Because, I mean, it, to me, it's a real concern. I mean, there was an article that appeared in Zero Hedge that said, when you get a PCR test, ask them what uh, the cycle level is. So that's what I did. And I mean, the reason I'm asking is not because I want to reveal it to the world. I, I want to know what the odds are that I've got a false positive or, you know, is this definitely a uh, something that I have to concern myself? Because, I mean, she didn't have... The only symptom that uh, mother had was a uh, a slight cough and a loss of appetite. And that came actually after we were both vaccinated. So I'm not anti-vax anyway. I should have mentioned that. I just had my vaccinations along with uh, with my mom at the same time. So, yeah, that's all that happened was she got a few symptoms uh, that probably came about because of the vaccination. And... Uh, We'll find out right away, but I, I, I want to know, in the court action, are you going to be able to get discovery sometime before 2025 so we can find out what the level of cycle uh, magnification is on these tests? I mean... Yes, yes, okay. yes. Um, we have uh, medical experts that will be filing um, expert reports on the PCR tests and uh, what what I've been told, and uh, yes, it's biased and one sided, and it's only uh, it's only the opinion of, of of some people, and others will disagree. Mm -hmm. But uh, what I've been told is that the, the PCR testing is utterly unscientific and is a very poor way of knowing if somebody has COVID or not. Um, people Did you get a magnification level? Well, in the, the there are articles I read in the the New York Times and the National Post um, that had uh, medical doctors and infectious disease uh, experts saying that the there should never be more than thirty cycles. Yeah, I've read this. And yeah. you know, if you set it at uh, thirty five or forty cycles, you're going to find like everybody's got tiny remnants of virus, and they're not even sure if it's a COVID virus or not. It could be some other virus. Uh, there's a media report within the past week. I don't know if it was uh, accurate or not, but Ontario <clears throat> is running at 40 cycles. So they're getting incredibly high over. numbers. Yeah, that's way over. Everybody, everybody that gets tested is, uh, is found to be positive, and then the media get their um, – their content for their fear-mongering headlines because, you know, oh, booga, 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 we got uh, another 10,000 COVID cases in, in Ontario in the past week, you know? Yeah. I click did bait, notice a, click I bait did, to keep their uh, advertising revenues up. I did notice a subtle shift, actually. Now they're starting to emphasize the deaths, at least in the headlines that I saw in our local papers here, in particular Edmonton Journal. You know, they made uh, quite a big uh, play. Didn't mention the cases. They just said 19 deaths. 
you know, and uh, that was the headline, right? You know, so they're obviously. But, and and here's 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 how misleading the media are. Did the same story tell you that 500 Albertans have died in the last seven days? Oh, did, did they mention that? Actually, I didn't read the story. I told you, don't pay attention to it. <laughs> I read the headlines. I, I try would, to read some of it, okay, because I like to stay current. I have yet. I, I have yet. I have yet to read one single media story that references the highly relevant fact that in Alberta, over 27,000 people die every year, which is more than 2,000 a week, which, uh, sorry, more than 2,000 a month, more than 500 a week. All of these deaths are very sad, not just the uh, people that died of COVID. So yeah, if if, uh, if the media headline was screaming that uh, 16 people died of, of COVID, I would say that's very sad. And the other uh, 484, if my math is correct, uh, deaths from uh, suicides and drug overdoses and uh, delayed cancer diagnosis and uh, uh, every kind of disease and illness and car accidents and you name it, uh, those other 484 deaths are also very sad. But when the media tell you that 16 people died of COVID without telling you that it's normal sad but normal that every week in Alberta there are 500 people who die on average right mm. based on the based on the 27,000 per year right yeah okay well let's get to these court actions that you've filed here they've been filed and uh, at least the one in Alberta have you filed any others around the country or just Alberta so far no um, Alberta was uh, court action against Alberta was filed on Friday, the 4th of December. Okay. Uh, however, we will also be wishing British Columbia, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and Ontario a Merry Christmas by way of serving them with a statement of claim uh, before Christmas. And okay. the legal, legal team currently is very busy yeah. working on that. But these are, you know, uh, I'm going to say it's worth the wait because people have been urging us for, uh, you know, six months or more. When are you going to sue? When are you going to sue? When are you going to sue? And, you know, we could have filed some statement of claim six months ago, but uh, would not have been a strong action because there wasn't that much data yet available. Right. It's going to be very hard for, in, in these five forthcoming court actions, it's going to be very hard for the politicians and chief medical officers to go into court and engage in fear-mongering because... The government data and statistics shows that uh, fewer Canadians are dying uh, since COVID arrived. And you've just got a shift in that in 2019, um, the you know people in nursing homes would have been, the cause of death would have been listed as cancer, heart diseases, lung diseases, stroke, influenza, pneumonia. Uh, and in 2020, you've got similar numbers of seniors dying but now uh covid is listed as cause cause of death and i'm and i'm not saying that's inaccurate uh you know covid's real and it's there and it's killing people and you should be afraid of it if you're if you're in a nursing home you should be very afraid of covid or even if if you're not in a nursing home and you're you're 85 years old and you've got uh serious health conditions well then uh then you should be afraid but we don't have more people dying, and the other statistic, which I think we're going to focus on even more in in uh, we're going to we're going to be doing other papers in the months ahead. I think we're going to do a paper on um, years of life lost (YLL), and this is a standard measure used by stat statisticians uh, to analyze the lethality and the harm of an illness, which is how many years of life does it take off of the population? Because it is not irrelevant uh, if there's particular disease that, you know, is, is, is affecting all age groups equally. Well, you add up years for life lost, but regardless of, of the disease, there's a difference between um, years of life lost uh, from somebody in a nursing home where the average lifespan is 12 months from the time that you get in, right? That mm -hmm. on average, uh, you don't go into a nursing home unless you're already very sick and uh, typically quite elderly as well. But more more of a sickness thing. If you're very sick, you go into a nursing home. On average, those uh, those people are 12 months away from death. And uh, if, if they're not killed by the annual flu or by COVID, uh, they will sadly and tragically die of something else. 
and to uh, to take a hard look at that and to feel sad about it is not um, an excuse for becoming delusional and pretending that we can uh, make everybody live forever because mm-hmm. that's just not life. But right. I think it's a delusion that the politicians suffer from. You know, it's it's a I'm, I'm starting to think it's just a power trip for them because the the truth is that there's no politicians and no chief medical officers that have the magical power to make everybody live forever. And um, what what we've seen with COVID now, based on government statistics, is that we just have a shift in death attribution. We don't have more deaths. Yes, I know. I mean, that's the bottom line here. And that's why it's really shocking that no one else has covered this in the Canadian media. All they did was file reports about how you had an anti-mask protest in <laughs> Calgary, you know, like a bunch of right-wingers out in crazy Alberta, you know. I mean, like these people, they are being so irresponsible, so anti-science. I mean, that's the the amazing part. They think they're following science, but they're not at all. And no. it's, it's a- absolutely mind-blowing that we are at this point. And I would say almost inexcusable. Just get back to the court case for a second here, because I was wondering when you filed whether there's any sort of, I don't know what you call it. I hear it's called injunctive relief or any, something like that. It's kind of what I hear that term bandied around yeah. in the context. Like so you, we've got, we've got a, we've got a general court action, which is a court action for a declaration that the lockdown measures are a violation of charter rights and freedoms. They're a violation of other constitutional principles. Uh, such as democratic accountability. Uh, Alberta has the add-on that it's a violation of the Alberta Bill of Rights. Uh, mm. So the actions in BC, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and Ontario are going to be uh, similar, that the lockdowns are an, an unjustified violation of charter freedoms. Now, once that court action is filed, uh, what very often happens, and I, I think we are planning to do this in uh, several of the five provinces, if not all five of them, Within the so you get the big you got kind of the main action the big court action for a final declaration that these measures are uh, of no force and effect, mm-hmm. but you can all, within that main action you follow a separate application for an interlocutory injunction which is an interim injunction which is to say look we understand it's going to take a long time to come up with a final ruling. But we're going to try right now. We're putting in all these expert reports and expert evidence, and we're going to ask that the court immediately uh, be nice to get some rulings before Christmas uh, so that we we don't have to be afraid of $1,000 fines when we're, um, you know, having Christmas dinner with our our mother or father or grandparents. So I anticipate that in in one or more provinces – we will also have an injunction application to uh, to try and get a court ruling before Christmas that um, that these measures are, uh, if not entirely, at least uh, partially irrational and not based on science and uh, not compliant with uh, with the charter. Time wise, are we looking at uh, the courts shutting down over Christmas? Like, is that going to delay things if, if you file it like two weeks or a week before Christmas? Are they going to say, "Oh, we'll deal with this"? In January, shove it to the bottom of the pile. Well, that's up to the judges, but it's a little bit different in every province. Some provinces have been uh, better at switching to uh, email filing of court documents and having court hearings by Zoom. Mm -hmm. Some some courts have done better uh, than others. Uh, I know in BC, one of my staff lawyers said there's an acute shortage of justices, judges in in BC. And I I was just appalled to hear that because even though I've I've got a lifelong track record of advocacy for smaller government and lower taxes in, you know, different position of, you know, working for the Canadian Taxpayers Federation and and so on. However, there's a core area where government should not be cutting the budget. And that's a core governmental function that no private business, no individual, no family, no community organization can adequately and properly perform, and that is the administration of justice. We need one justice system that's there for everybody, right? We can't have the, uh, you know, the Carpe courts and the uh, and the Kenny courts, and then you know, if somebody sues in the Carpe courts and you know gets a favorable ruling, but then it's like, oh, well, we don't recognize that, what? right? 
Here I was going to try to get you to invest in a rent-a-judge company. Yeah, a rent-a-judge company. <laughs> so we need we need one court system, and justice delayed is justice denied. When you have too few judges, then all of these cases, which even with adequate staffing, they're taking way, way longer than what they should, and there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. Mm-hmm. You know, don't have the time for it. But it's a disgrace that in British Columbia, they have such an acute shortage of judges. We had a situation where there's a scheduled court hearing by Zoom, and... Uh, it was all scheduled and written down, this and that, and the lawyers were ready. And it's like, oh, sorry, no available judge to hear it. You know, really. So we had to reschedule, and I got bumped back by uh, a few weeks or or a month. And we we had the hearing by uh, by Zoom last week. So uh, poor state of affairs in British Columbia. But uh, in terms of timeliness, it is uh, potentially possible to get some rulings before. Christmas, potentially mm-hmm. possible. Right. Um, I know Ontario has a triage system where they kind of go through all the actions and try and decide which ones are the most uh, the most urgent. And, uh, you know, if we can uh, clear our way through that hurdle, then, mm-hmm. um, you know, so be it. But I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't hold my breath on uh, getting rulings before Christmas. Right. Okay. But it's important to get the process uh, started. Sure. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. There's, there is that. And uh, who knew that they were going to, well, I mean, it, there were some signals that they were going after Christmas. I just didn't think these screwballs would do it, but they've done it. And, uh, and now we got to deal with it. That's, uh, that's the tragedy here. I'm, I've heard, I've heard, uh, I got an email from um, an organization called True North and they said that uh, their survey or poll suggested that uh, 30% of Canadians were planning to have friends and family over. So I hope that number And the other rise. 70% weren't going to admit it. <laughs> it's an interesting, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's an interesting and scary times because in conjunction with this, uh, again, somebody who called in on a radio program saying that anti-maskers are responsible for large case numbers and responsible for the healthcare system being overrun and responsible for deaths and the anti-maskers should all be locked up in prison and, and infect each other with COVID. And, you know, I hope they all die Yeah, party with that area. kind of comment. Um, but since I spoke at the rally in Calgary on December the 5th, the uh, anti-lockdown pro-freedom rally, not, uh, not an anti-mask rally <laughs> as such, um, our, our phone has been ringing off the hook with, uh, and, and we've had lots of hate mail and we've had lots of love mail. Uh, we had one threatening message on the, uh, on, on the voicemail, somebody threatening to harm me if they ever saw me in public. So we will be turning that over to the Calgary Police Service and ask them to open a file. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we had some of those calls and emails. However, we've also had uh, outpouring of support from people who say things like, you know, Thank God for the Justice Center. You're the only people in Canada that are standing up for rights and freedoms. You're the Why only is people. that? <laughs> so, well, I mean, I, 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 come on. I, 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 you know, work with you here and everything, but why are you the only ones? This is like killing me. That's the message we're getting. No, I, and I should point out, it's technically, it's not true. We've had, okay. um, uh, there's another public interest law firm that I used to work for a number of years ago, uh, the Canadian Constitution Foundation. They they've they seem to be doing some good work on this and issuing a report and starting a petition on their website. And on a grassroots level, there's uh, there's many, 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 many grassroots groups that are getting uh, organized, and and that's that's great. And um, but in terms of the and then we've got, you know, the Fraser Institute has been good on reporting on the economic harm, economic damage, uh, pointing out that some huge swath of the two thousand dollars per month uh, curb checks. Uh, I forget now there's like 30 percent or 60 percent, but there was a large portion of it was going to young adult children of wealthy families. You know? Yeah. And, and there's people that were earning, you know, $1,000 a month or $1,500 a month uh, for which they had to put in a lot of work. And now they're getting $2,000 a month for free. And conversely, if you are a um, breadwinner for a family and you're supporting a, sp- a spouse and kids, 2000 a month is not enough to get by on for um, for a family of, of, of four people. So 
The Fraser Institute's been doing good work on the economic things, and the McDonald Laurier Institute has been doing some good work. Frontier Center for Public Policy has been doing some good work as well on pointing out the uh, absurdity of our government programs and how poorly the governments are handling this. Um, thus far, uh, as far as I can tell, they're not strongly sinking their teeth into actually saying that you know, the lockdowns are wrong because they do more harm than good. They're not quite venturing into that territory. Mm -hmm. So quite possibly the Justice Center, you know, no, we're not the only, but we're one of very few organizations that is uh, speaking out against the lockdowns and taking action. We're taking the governments to court. Kudos to you for that, but just kind of depressing that there are are more, you know, because I mean, like, I said last time when I introduced the uh, the show, that, you know, this is the law of the land, the charter, and everybody just seems to th- blow that off, you know, like including people that have just loved the charter for the past. Uh, yeah, Megan Megan Murphy, who is um, with uh, Feminist Current in Vancouver, at least to the best of my knowledge, she's still running that website, but she's uh, she's branched out and she wrote an article for the Spectator in the past week. Uh, that American or British? I think it was the American. Uh, okay. I think it was the American version. And um, so Megan Murphy wrote, uh, "What's what, what's happened to the left's defense of peaceful protest?" And Megan Murphy is somebody who has always identified, and and I, I assume to a large extent still identifies as left wing. You know. Uh, pro-choice and pro-gay marriage and, you know, generous social programs and yada, yada, yada. Like she probably uh, aligns with those, you know, typical left-wing beliefs, but she's shocked and appalled that there are, there are people, and I'll get to the right in a minute, but that, mm. that there are people on the left who would have been the most vociferous champions for free speech and for peaceful assembly, right? That, you know, many Laws have been changed over the course of history because people protest peacefully and it's a means of alerting society to a cause. I mean, why do women have the right to vote? Well, partially because, uh, entirely because there was a political movement for that, that ultimately persuaded majority of men and women that it was a good idea. And then the all-male legislatures changed the laws to uh, to allow women to vote and, and allow women to run for office and so on, right? But that peaceful protest is such an important part of our democratic process. And when a government takes that away from you temporarily, ha, ha, ha. Uh, that, Don't that's, laugh, buddy. It's getting that's, serious. Yeah, no, it's these, yeah. These, are, these are permanent restrictions. And then on the right, you have uh, people that are, you know, or at least were, vociferous defenders of charter freedoms and, you know, the smaller government and individual freedom. And, you know, of course, every individual, you've got these fundamental freedoms to to speak and to assemble peacefully and to protest peacefully and to associate with whom you want and to use your own home. Uh, remember the saying, your home is your castle, you know? That was a legal tradition, goes back hundreds of years, was the idea that, that a person's home, even if it's just a, a mud shack, that is their castle, that is their sanctuary, and there's long-standing uh, restrictions that, you know, policemen can't, cannot enter your home without a warrant uh, unless they have reasonable and probable grounds to believe that there is a, a crime currently being committed in your home, like, you know, a bad situation of a spousal assault or child abuse or whatever. But unless there's reasonable and probable grounds that a crime is being committed in your home right now at this moment, uh, apart from that... They're not allowed to enter your home without a warrant. So your home is your castle. Your home is your most important, arguably is your most important private property. And that's a rental as well, because when you're renting the place, that's, it's yours. You're renting it, right? But it's still, it's your, you have a right to occupy that. So it's, whether it's rented or whether it's, you know, the bank owns it and you're, you're paying a mortgage either way. So when the government says that you cannot decide who to have in your home, or how many people to have in your home, that's a blatant assault on property rights. And so you get all these people on the right who are typically in favor of private property rights and in favor of all the fundamental charter freedoms. And they're going, oh yeah, but you know, it's COVID. It's okay. 
Governments can just do whatever they want. We all have to uh, unite uh, against this unusually deadly killer, and uh, that's it. And we're not all in this together. No, of course not. No, and it's (laughs) you're right. It is crossing party lines, and uh, you know, like referring back to that person that phoned into that radio talk show that you talked about. People like that could be permanently damaged by this, psychologically damaged by this type of thing for the rest of their lives. It's just whether they're going to be able to rule over the rest of us with their fear right now they are winning the argument and uh, i'm just hoping that we have some kind of remedy for this soon because your home is not your castle it's your tower and you're locked in it you know that's the yeah it's 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 a it's a prison now it's uh rapunzel rapunzel let down your hair (laughs) yeah (laughs) locked up in it wash it first put it in the hair net (laughs) one uh And don't get a perm. Yeah. There's a far side cartoon to that effect. There's Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair. And she hears the voice and she's just finished getting herself a perm. So it's kind of bad timing on that. But um, uh, the Calgary radio show host, Danielle Smith, uh, threw out an interesting challenge to our political leaders uh, this this morning uh, saying, why don't, uh, why don't the politicians take a 20% pay cut uh, in solidarity with all of the waiters and waitresses and the uh, gym staff and the massage therapists and physiotherapists and uh, retail staff and uh, restaurant staff. uh, And the list can go on and on and on and on. Uh, All these people being thrown out of work uh, in Alberta and in every province. And uh, I'd like to see that expanded to the doctors as well. Why not? Well, and, and the public sector. I mean, I, I'm not aware of, I'm not saying it couldn't exist. I'm not aware of any, um, I'm not aware of anybody that has been personally harmed uh, by lockdowns that is uh, calling for more lockdowns. It's, and, and even if there are some, there are not many. Typically, the people calling for lockdowns do not have skin in the game, most of them. Mm-hmm. They are getting their monthly pension check and it's not gone down. They're able to buy everything they need. They're not facing financial stress. Uh, they are either pensioners or they are uh, public sector people, the nurses and social workers and hundreds of thousands of federal government employees and provincial government employees, hundreds of thousands of people and uh, uh, teachers. I don't know if I mentioned them already and uh, firefighters and others in the public sector who are collecting. They've been collecting their full paycheck since uh, in the past nine months, they've had zero financial stress and they're calling for more lockdowns. And, you know, if, if we're going to keep on saying we're all in this together, um, then uh, if, if that's actually true, then, you know, a 20% pay cut to, uh, to every public sector worker and to, uh, to every politician would be a good first step. Or we should just stop using that slogan and say, no, we're not all in this together. We're destroying... Uh, businesses were destroying the life savings of uh, of people that have spent decades building up a business to see it destroyed by the likes of Jason Kenney and Dina Henshaw and other premiers and other chief medical officers. But if if we want to keep on using that slogan, we're all in this together, then it's time for uh, politicians and uh, those in the public sector to step up to the plate and take a 20% pay cut. And if they're not prepared to do that, then please spare us the uh, the agony of having to listen to this garbage, false slogan that we're all in this together when we are not. I'd like to see it start with the uh, the finance minister, Canada's finance minister, who was in a video uh, suggesting that maybe it's time we just raided everybody's savings account, you know, to to pay for this. That uh, that made the rounds a little while ago. I don't know whether you saw that. It was a bit shocking, anyway. Sounded like she was suggesting we were going all going to get a Greek style haircut of our savings. And I thought, oh great, this is this is definitely we're all in this together. We're all going down together, I guess. Anyways, there were a few other things happening that I guess we should mention because I know you guys are really busy. You, you oh, did get the- you did get something happening in Manitoba or something stopped there at least with a, a strongly worded letter. You, you know, want to tell us a little bit about that? The um, the Manitoba government, uh, with its uh, evidence based scientific approach, decreed that uh, it was illegal for drive in church services, and these have been taking place all over Canada since March, where the 
members of the congregation drive their car to the church parking lot. They park their car. They hook up to a radio channel or whatever technology that they're using. So at least uh, even though they are not getting out of their cars and they're not hugging each other and they're not shaking hands, at least there's a little bit of a sense of togetherness, like it's better than staying at home because at least there's uh, you know some kind of solidarity from uh, being on a parking lot with you know, 50 or 100 other cars, which, by the way, we get that every day at Costco and Walmart. Lots of people, lots of... Anyway, the, the Manitoba Premier apparently and Chief Medical Officer apparently believe that COVID can go from a person inside a vehicle and penetrate glass and metal and go um, six feet through the air and penetrate the glass and metal of the other car and spread the COVID virus to, uh, to people at a drive-in church services. This is all very scientific. Actually, in all seriousness, the rationale provided by the Manitoba government was that people might be tempted to come out of their cars and shake hands. Well, that's uh, why you go to church, is to fight temptation. You know, anyways, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is just insulting and, and, uh, and, and patronizing. And if the government was really worried about that, they could still send the police out to start issuing tickets to people who got out of their car and shook hands with one another. But um, we sent a legal warning letter that we would uh, sue in court uh, for an injunction on that. Mm. Um, we sent the letter on, I think, Wednesday the 2nd or thereabouts. And then uh, on uh, Monday the 7th or thereabouts, we had, uh, or Tuesday the 8th, we had an announcement from the Manitoba government that drive-in church services are now legal in Manitoba. Whoa. Hurrah. Yeah, really. But, you know, this is, um, but, you know, the big lie at the bottom of it all, uh, we're not, we're not going to solve this problem until people recognize uh, that the government data and statistics, not John Carpe, government data and statistics tell us that COVID-19 is not an unusually deadly killer. And anybody who says otherwise is engaging in fear mongering and is not looking at the facts. And until that, until that truth uh, penetrates the minds of a larger number of people than what is the case today, uh, we are going to be manipulated like a bunch of dumb farm animals by uh, by fear-mongering politicians who uh, are going to get us to engage in virtue signaling by wearing a mask and uh, depriving us of the much-needed things that we need for our well-being, such as spending time face-to-face in person with friends uh, I'd like to see the chief medical officers come up with some scientific evidence that shows that uh, Zoom and Skype meetings are uh, an adequate substitute for uh, for in-person meetings. Um, I think it's just common sense that we need the personal uh, in-person face-to-face interactions with friends and family members. You know, kids need to be at the martial arts studio together with the other kids and together in the class doing things together. People need to be playing their uh, hockey and basketball and indoor soccer, outdoor soccer together. Uh, people need to be at bars and pubs and in churches and mosques and temples and synagogues together. And uh, I'd like to uh, I'd like to know if the chief medical officers have done any research on the uh, negative mental health impacts of people being uh, prohibited from uh, actually meeting together in person, because I think it's a, it's a basic human need that uh, we all have. And it's, it is trivialized and dismissed as completely irrelevant by these fear mongering politicians and chief medical officers. And uh, it's, it's very sad, but again, the, you know, I would encourage listeners uh, don't give up, Um, you know, send our email newsletter, justice update, if you're not a subscriber, go to www.jccf.ca, uh, sign up. Not only is it the most interesting newsletter that you will ever read, but we only send it out once every three weeks, so you don't have to worry about it, you know, clogging up your uh, your inbox every day. Uh, so, you know, send our newsletter to your um, friends and, and family and spread the word and don't give up uh, because truth will prevail in the end. I fear we're going to be uh, entering into even darker times in the short term. Uh, But uh, in the long run, truth will prevail. It's up to us 
to determine how slowly or how quickly we get that outcome of the truth prevailing. And if we do nothing or do very little, it's going to take a very long time for truth to prevail. If we work hard to get the word out, uh, it'll still take a long time, but it'll take less long than what it would have if we weren't doing anything. Good. We will eventually defeat the cult of COVID. That's what I'm looking forward to myself. Okay, I think uh, we can call an end to episode 49 of Justice with John Carpe. Been a very interesting one. Any promises for next show? No, I don't suppose. We're going to see what happens. Hopefully we'll have another. I, I think I think the uh, fear-mongering politicians and chief medical officers will give us enough content to talk about next week. And hopefully by the time we chat next week, uh, there'll be another uh, court action that has been filed and uh, we could talk about that and the, the local situation. Perfect. Okay, great. Thanks a lot, John. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Kevin.